All right. Looks like it's time to get started this morning. Leave a minute or two for everybody to filter in. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. What's that? Blessed. Blessed. Yeah, amen to that. Got a few more straggling in over here. Let's take a few minutes uh, before we get started with our class this morning. We're going to take some time to pray as we customarily do. And uh, did we, did you find a mic? Did you find a mic? Okay, good, good. What's that? Oh, uh, you need me? Pause. Okay, can we come in here? Because we got two slideshows. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. I confused Alan with our slideshow. I had it wrong. Anyway, all right. Well, let's take a minute to pray. Let's ask the question, first of all, uh, what has God done in your life this week? Anything positive? Any fingerprints from the Lord that you can point to? Said, yep, that was God. Anything? Any praise reports? Yeah. Thankful for the rain that we had. Okay. What do we need to be praying about this morning? Prayer requests. What's that? I didn't hear her. Oh, the seniors graduating? Sure. All right. Any other prayer requests? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Yes, sir. I got a praise report. Uh, just, uh, actually, let the Holy Spirit lead me. Instead of uh, going on my own will, I got to go to Big Spring before I came over here and pray with my mom. Okay. And sometimes, you know, I know I get caught up being selfish and want to do this and do that, but finally I kind of relinquish that control. And Amen to that. Lead me to kind of see where he wants me to go. Very good. And a uh, prayer request for restoration for my kids. Okay. I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet. What is your name? Christopher. Christopher? Okay, and I'll pray for your children, okay? Awesome, thank you. All right, anybody else? Oh, yes, ma'am. Right here? Go ahead, and then I'll get you, Lisa. Yes. Yeah. Okay, is it Lisa? Yes. Okay, yes, ma'am. All right, anyone else? The lost, the broken, and the hurting. 
Yeah. That's one thing I always appreciate about Augustine when he prays. He always prays for the lost and the broken and the addict. Always. Very good. Anyone else? Okay. Good morning, Craig. Good to see you. I just saw you walk in. I didn't see you come in. All right. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. And then we're going to go ahead and get started this morning with our, with our class material. Father, we want to thank you so much for the time that we have to... Uh, just open up your word and to understand the things that you have given us. We know, Father, that even this very life is a gift to us. And when we woke up this morning and we took our first breath, we realized, Lord, that you have us here for yet another day for a reason and for a purpose. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to find that purpose as we go into your word, as we uh, look at all of the incredible things that you have left for us as you instruct us, as you guide us, as you give us light to light the path for our feet. I pray, Father, for uh, different prayer requests uh, that have been mentioned this morning. <clears throat> I pray for uh, just the tragic situation that happened in Avald, Texas. And um, I pray for the families, Lord. There's so many brokenhearted uh, moms and dads and grandparents and, and family members that are just grieving over the loss of life. And for the teachers that lost their lives as well. Lord, anytime these things happen, we are um, torn apart as a nation as to know what is the answer. And, and Lord, as Christians, we know that you're the answer. And I pray that you would give us wisdom to know the way forward. I pray for the seniors that are graduating. And I ask you, Lord, to light their path in the same way that we've talked about this morning through your word and through your spirit. I pray for Christopher. Uh, for the, his children, I, I thank you, Father, for his praise report that he is finding new places of surrender uh, before you and allowing your spirit to take control. I pray for Lisa and for the diabetic issues that she's having. I pray for the, the lost and the broken, for those who can't be here, Father, for those who are caught up in their sin, for those who are um, broken, who are caught up in depression, for those who uh, are just not ready yet, Lord. I pray that you'd help them to become ready. I ask you all these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen. I'm going to get you too. I'll pray for you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and um, get into the book of Daniel. And let's see if I got these slides. Alan, work with me here. I'm sorry. I think I want to make sure I got it right. I should be able to get up to... I didn't mean to take as long as we have um, so far. We've done a lot of introductory material. Okay, so I want to start off this morning by, by uh, just doing a little bit more introductory uh, material to the book of Daniel. Again, I, I meant to only take about two Sundays to just kind of get through some of the introductory stuff, uh, but we've just been having some fun with it. Um, but I did want to say one thing. Uh, let's see, Galen, where are you at, Galen? There you are. The Boyd family, uh, they had an opportunity to, to take out the RV, and they just got back from Kentucky. And uh, did y'all ever get a chance to go down and see my home state, Tennessee? Did you ever see any, saw a little bit of Tennessee? Okay, good, good. Um, so while you were there, they had the chance to go see the Noah's Ark exhibit. Wasn't that fast? I was going to see. Do you guys want to share anything about it? Can I, can I stick a microphone in your face for a second? It's not on? That's okay. Let's see. I'm not sure how this thing even goes on. Do you? No. Uh, let's see. Does it have a slide 
There we go. All right, now it's on. All right. It's big. It's real big. You know, we say Texas is big. No. That's real big. It was phenomenal. Three different levels when you walk in. And they talked about how they fed the animals, how they got... Okay, I'm medical, okay? <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to see how they got rid of all the waste. It was pretty cool. They, had a, they showed how that happened. I mean, God's so good. He's so smart. He had a... He's good. That's all I got to say. Very good. It was really interesting because it's so big. And they, uh, so you can tell me something is five football fields long. And I don't know what five football fields long looks like. But this, now I, now I get it. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And you can see how God could protect all the different kinds of animals, not mm-hmm. species, but kinds of animals. And, and there was plenty of room to have lots of food in there, and they showed that. I mean, it's all the way through. There's storage containers for food, and uh, then they had a door, and the door is huge yeah. as well. But uh, it, it was very interesting. It was, I mean, you just walk through it, and it takes a long time to walk. You can see their living quarters. Of course, it's all the way it's imagined but you know it it just helps to see how it could all work yeah and there's so many questions we've always had about how could noah have all those animals in the ark Mm -hmm. how do they feed them how do they take care of them how do they you know and it and it was it became very feasible very possible by watching all of this so it was great they had little movies through it too so watch that very very good i saw it when it first opened i would be curious to see it now to see if it's changed up any any whatsoever did you have something else you want to add okay um i'll share one little tidbit with you that that kind of was a really cool thing for me when i was studying this in college um i i actually am one of those people that believes that the story actually happened when i went to college i I didn't realize how many people didn't believe it no more. They believe it's just a fictional, myth, a mythological story um, that was you know, made up and adopted from other sources or whatnot. Um, but when you actually get into the story, there's so many historical things that connect to actual truth uh, and, and things that, that, that you realize, wait a minute, this isn't just a story. Uh, this is something that actually happened. I mean, for example, if you were just a... Uh, an attorney and you were looking at the evidence you know every major culture and we're talking 160 163 major cultures across the whole world has a flood story in their narrative cultures that did not know each other that never communicated with one another well when you have that many cultures has a flood story what does that tell you at some point a long 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 time ago a big old flood happened right and a lot of people remember that and they carry it down in their memory and of course they reinterpret the story with their own gods and with their own background and whatnot but one little tidbit i thought was fascinating i want to share this with you and then we'll get into daniel is uh we were studying the book of genesis and we were reading some portions of it in hebrew in college and we got to this point you know the the passage where it says and they probably shared this there when you were there but it says that he made rooms in the ark remember that it says he made rooms in the ark. The word room is actually not in the Hebrew. It actually literally says he made nests. He made nests. If you're going to take one of every type of species of animal on the ark, let's use some logic here. Are you going to take grown adults or are you going to take youth, young? Young. You're going to take young, all right? 
Saves room, less food, less upkeep, right? More sleeping. Makes a lot of sense, does it not? Okay. So I thought that was fascinating. You could absolutely, that thing is so big, you easily could have gotten every species on there. Yeah. Another thing, they had the animals in there. Now, these were not real animals. They were uh, replicas, replicas some were animatronics. I mean, they, they weren't real. Yeah, yeah. But mostly what they had were animals that we don't see. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have, like, a dog. They had a canine that dogs would have descended from. Right, right. And, you know, they didn't have a horse like what we see. It's not like the little Noah's Arks that we show children. I mean, it was totally different animals that most likely lived during that time, and they do that from the layers of the earth and the animals that they find. You know, and so it was real interesting that it was not the normal animals. It was different animals that our animals descended from. That's right. When Genesis says that each, each are born after their kind. Kind. Right. Yes. And there's a canine kind from which all the variations come from, right? Just like with all the other different kinds of animals. So very good. Very, very good point. Okay, so let's, let's switch targets here and get into the book of Daniel. I want to show you the way the book of Daniel is organized is the first half of the book, the first six chapters are all historical. Okay, they're just kind of giving you the, the, the background, if you will, of what's going on behind the scenes. The second half of the book, in chapter 7 through 12, um, I, meant to say, I meant to say prophetic on the right side, so I apologize, that's a, that's a misprint on my part. Historical, chapters 1 through 6, prophetic, chapters 7 through 12, and this is where we get some of those really incredible prophecies that, um, that Daniel gets into. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with the book of Daniel because of the way it's organized. And uh, I'm going to show you this up on the screen. Let's say you pick up the book of Daniel and you start reading and you just start reading every chapter. Well, Daniel chapter 1, the first thing you're going to read in Daniel chapter 1 is Nebuchadnezzar is going to take a very young Daniel into captivity. He's got several of his friends that are with him. Uh, These are young royal or up-and-coming Young men, these would have been the nobles, uh, educated, uh, probably wealthy, smart. Um, they would have gone into captivity first. Nebuchadnezzar is, is not even king yet, by the way. He's a military general. Um, his father, Nabopolassar, is the king. He's sitting on the throne. And his son, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, is out expanding the kingdom. If you remember, this is right at the time of the fall of the Assyrian Empire. So Nebuchadnezzar is very much in the role of being a general working to expand the borders. He's taking the opportunity because there's a power vacuum that's starting to happen. You, you, mentioned, or you heard me mention a few weeks ago about the Battle of Carchemish that takes place. The Battle of Carchemish takes place right around this time, and that's when Pharaoh Necho, which is mentioned in your Bibles, is defeated. And uh, that's when the, the southern Judah king is also defeated as well. So there's this incredible power vacuum, and that's when he comes in. At some point, Nebuchadnezzar is going to hear about his father. Now, he's going to besiege Jerusalem. He defeats Pharaoh Necho. He's on his way back to Babylon. To get back to Babylon, you would go through Israel. And he gets to Israel. He says, you know what? I think I'm going to have... I got time for one more siege. I'm going to lay siege to Jerusalem, right? Well, this is where we see in the Bible the first siege of Jerusalem. Now, is he going to completely siege the place? No. Here's why. 
Because while he's besieging Jerusalem and he's taking the captives, and he's, he's got Daniel and he's got those initial captives, he hears the news that back home, his dad just passed away. Well, guess what? He's not home, and what's about to happen if you're not home? Somebody else might jump in there. So he hightails it out of Jerusalem and gets back home, right? So that ends the first siege of Jerusalem. And when you, we don't have time to, to study the prophets, but if you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, or excuse me, uh, 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 let me get that right, uh, uh, Jeremiah, he talks about this. Okay, he talks about this. So there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes, but if you want to get into those books, you can. Okay, um, so he leaves. He goes back to Babylon. Well, we know from history and archaeology that next year, the very next year after Nabopolassar dies, is the first year of Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Babylon. Does that make sense? Okay. So then you get into Daniel chapter 2 and 3, which takes, takes place in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 is a judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar. And, and look what happens now. Look at Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 jumps to the last year of Belshazzar. That's a huge jump if you don't know chronologically speaking. All right? Daniel chapter 6 happens during the first year of Darius the Mede. Well, wait a minute. Now we're talking about Medes here. Where did they come in? I didn't even know Babylon was gone. Well, it's not. Because Daniel is not written in chronological order. Does that make sense? I'm trying to show you some of the reasons why people get confused on the book of Daniel because it jumps around chronologically speaking. Look at Daniel 7. Daniel 7 goes to the first year, back to the first year of Belshazzar. <laughs> so we've gone from Belshazzar to Darius the Mede. Now we're talking about Belshazzar again. Daniel chapter 9, you've got events happening during the first year of Darius the Mede again. Daniel chapter 10 is the third year of Cyrus. Daniel's, Daniel chapter 11 and 12 is the first year of Darius the Mede again. Okay? So you can see just how the book is laid out. It's not historical or uh, uh, chronological order. So here's what we're going to do to try to make things a little bit easier as we go through this book. We're going to put it in chronological order. Does that make sense? All right? So in Daniel chapter 1, this is where Nebuchadnezzar takes Daniel, chapter 2 and 3. This will be the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. This is where he has the dream of the image. Remember this? A lot of people don't realize this, but Daniel is a very, very young man when he has that dream. When Nebuchadnezzar has the dream about the, the future world empires, and he sees the man with the head of gold and the chest and arms of bronze, silver, and goes all the way down. He's probably a teenager when, um, when Nebuchadnezzar has that dream. Daniel chapter 4 is going to be the judgment that God brings upon Nebuchadnezzar because of his arrogance. Then we're going to go to chapter 7, okay, which is the first year of Belshazzar. Belshazzar takes over after Nebuchadnezzar. See, chronologically speaking, we're just going to go right in order. And this is where he's got the dream about the lion and the leopard and the four wings and the hideous monster, which is a profile of all of Gentile history in advance. Incredible, incredible story, incredible um, prophecy. Then we're going to get to Daniel chapter 8, which is the third year of Belshazzar. He's got the dream of the ram and the goat and the four horns and the little notable horn. And this is where he lays out in advance the entire career of Alexander the Great. 
And it actually looks beyond Alexander the Great a little bit. We'll talk about that when we get there. Daniel chapter 5, we're going to go from 7, 8 to 5. Why? Because Daniel chapter 5 takes place during the last year of Belshazzar. So we're going to do it in chronological order from the years of the reigns of the kings, okay? Um, Belshazzar, this is the last year of Belshazzar. This is where he's got the handwriting on the wall. Remember that? Mine, mine, tekel ufarsin. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And he says, that night you're going to fall. What happens that night? The Persians come in and they take over the Babylonian Empire. Okay. Okay. So historically and, and archaeologically speaking, this is exactly what happens to Babylon. Babylon falls without a fight. Did you realize that? Babylon falls without a fight, which is interesting because there's so many passages in the Bible that talk about the destruction of Babylon. But Babylon, under, uh, under the king that we're going to be reading about here, under Belshazzar, it falls without a battle whatsoever, okay? Which tells you that the Babylon that is to fall has not happened yet. There is a mystery Babylon that's talked about in the book of Revelation that is still yet to fall. We'll talk about that another day. Okay, so then um, Daniel chapter 6 takes place after the handwriting on the wall and the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, we'll now look at events that take place during the first year of Darius. Um, this is when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. You'll remember that Daniel becomes second in command only to the king. But then guess what? The Babylonian Empire falls. Well, when Darius the Mede rises to power, guess what? Daniel again rises up to be second in command. There's a plot in the royal palace to go against Daniel. They throw him in the lion's den to try to get rid of him. That's where this takes place in Daniel chapter 6. Then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 9, which also takes place during the first year of Darius. Same year. Um, this is where he, we will talk about the 70-year judgment that Jeremiah talks about. If you remember, Ezekiel is uh, down there with them. They're in um, Jerusalem. And then they go to the Babylon captivity. Well, this takes place during that time. While they're in the Babylon captivity, Daniel is at court in Persia. All right? Um, and uh, we'll get into the 70 year or the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. Four disciples come to Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 24. And he tells them that there's a day coming when that temple that they're marveling at is going to come completely to the ground. And they, they, they kind of mistake that. They think in their heads, well, wait a minute, if the temple's coming down, then that must mean the end of the age and the beginning of the Messianic age. And so they said, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? When is this going to happen? And Jesus gives them uh, a little inside information as to what to look for when the age finally comes to an end. One of the things he tells them to do is to go back and study Daniel chapter 9. There is a little verse in Daniel chapter 9 in that prophecy. He says, when you understand this, you will be able to understand Bible prophecy. We will talk about that when we get there. Then we're going to get to Daniel chapter 11 and 12, which also takes place during the first year of Darius. So Daniel 6, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, Daniel 12 all take place during that first year of Darius. Um, when you read it, Daniel chapter 11 and 12 is, is actually thematically a continuation of 9. So when you read 9 and 11 and 12 together, it works perfectly because the, the theme is exactly the same. Chapter 11 deals with the so-called silent years between the Old and the New Testament. Have you guys ever heard of a phrase called the intertestamental period, right? That three or 400 years between the time that happens between Malachi and Matthew, right? 
Well, some people say, well, that's, that's called the silent years because there's nothing written in the Bible about the silent years. That's actually not true. Daniel chapter 11 deals with the silent years. It just deals with it in advance, in prophetic form, okay? Then in chapter 12, we're going to see the final consummation of all things. You're going to see the second coming of Jesus Christ in chapter 12. And then, lastly, we're going to hop back to, Gen- or to Daniel chapter 10, You say, Tim, why are we doing that? Because that's the third year of Cyrus. Again, going in chronological order here, that's the third year of Cyrus where he's got this vision of great warfare against Persia around the time frame of the Passover. It's a really spooky chapter, actually. Uh, You get a glimpse into the spirit world. You get a glimpse into what goes on behind the scenes. And what you find out is that in the world around you, there is always spiritual warfare that's taking place. Remember, uh, Daniel has a, a prayer that he has from God. He's, he's talking to him about when will the 70 years come to completion and what are you going to do with your people? And uh, the angel Gabriel shows up. Remember what happens there? He says, well, I would have been here. He's been praying and fasting for how long? Like three weeks or so. And he says, I would have been here sooner. Except for what? I was opposed by the prince of the power of Persia. And I've got to go back because the prince of the power of Greece is on his way and I've got to fight against him. He said, I wouldn't have been able to come here except that I had help, right? So there's all kinds of spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes. Now, probably most of you are, are familiar with um, the, the famous prophecy that Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 2, the statue. It has the head of gold and the chest of silver and the arms of uh, bronze, the torso, all these different things. Um, most of us know about the, the other major vision that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 7. Basically, it's two visions telling the same story in a different way. But what I want to point out to you is that um, and from Daniel chapter 4 to Daniel chapter 7, there is a gap of time of about 63 years that go between these two visions. But see, you don't realize that when you're just reading Daniel straight through until you actually look at it in chronological order. But between that first vision in chapter 2 where he sees the man, the statue, and Daniel chapter 7 where he sees another, which is more commentary on that same vision, there is 63 years that go by between those two visions. So you tend to think that it all happens at once, but it doesn't. It takes place over lots of time. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the reigns of the kings. When you look into history, we know that Nebuchadnezzar ruled from 605 to 562. And uh, he was replaced by his son, Evil Merodach. Now, his name is not evil, evil like we think of evil. It's, it's, does that make sense? It, like They didn't think it meant evil. It's just the way it sounds, but it sounds pretty interesting to us because we think of it evil turns out he really was evil so he lived up to his name evil Merodach is mentioned in your bibles uh the next king did not reign very long it was his brother Nerglesar. um he's really in, in inconsequential to our studies Nabonidus is also pretty inconsequential to our studies Nabonidus didn't want to be king by the way he hated it he was picked because he was the only guy left and so he picked his son to sit on the throne while he went on vacation pretty much all the time uh, but anyway, we'll mention him in a minute. Now, check this out. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the backgrounds in archaeology. Um, but after Nabonidus, his son, Belshazzar, Nabonidus is gone all the time. Like I said, he likes the vacation. He likes the party. He hangs out down in Arabia. He sticks his son, Belshazzar, on the throne. 
Belshazzar is actually a co-regent with his father. They both ruled together at the same time. So Belshazzar's reign ends the same year as his father's in 539 B.C. when the empire falls to the Persians. Um, now, a little side note, something that I find interesting. In archaeology, um, there was something that was found one time called the Nabonidus Cylinder. And if you had the time to, to translate that from uh, Babylonian into English, it mentions a lot of things that you would find interesting. For example, it mentions the name of Belshazzar. It corroborates the name in history. His name is actually written on that cylinder. Um, and there's a lot of other things that it talks about too, but, but what's the point of bringing that up? The point is, is that history corroborates the very stories that you and I are reading about in our Bibles, right? These were real people that actually lived at one time, okay? And again, we could do a whole series on, on just that. Okay, let me give you uh, another example from archaeology before we start. Um, you guys remember the story of the handwriting on the wall, right? Everybody knows that story pretty well. I see heads going up and down. Okay. Well, this mysterious hand appears, and he writes something on the wall, and the king knows it's spiritual. That much he knows. But he doesn't know what it means. Now, by this point, Daniel's been put away. He's not being used. Somebody, one of the officials says, you know what, there's this really old guy. And I remember hearing stories about he's really good at interpreting dreams. You might give this guy a call. So they bring Daniel out. And in Daniel chapter 5, verse 16, here's what it says. It says, now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this handwriting, because it was written in Hebrew, see. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means... You will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, just a little tidbit. Again, this is not that important, but it is to some people because there are people that will tell you that the Bible's not true, that it's full of errors, it's full of problems. But see, listen, I've actually just solved a problem for you and you didn't even realize it yet. For many, many years, it was taught that the book of Daniel could not be inspired because we know from history that uh, Belshazzar was not sitting on the throne as king when this happened, that his dad was. That's what the accusation was, okay? Well, why does it say in the text that you'll be made the third highest ruler? Because later on, we discovered through things like the Nabonidus cylinder, like some of the other archaeology, like some of the palaces and some of the, the um, Babylonian script that's been translated, what we found out was a whole lot. We found out again that his dad hated to rule. He hated being on that throne. We found out that there were times when he would stick his son on that throne and he would uh, authorize him to be co-regent while he would go off and have fun and have parties. We know from archaeology that he was already sitting on the throne as co-ruler, co-regent. We found those records. So when he makes that offer to Daniel, it makes sense why he says you'll be the third one in place, right? Because he can't give him second place because that's the one he's sitting in. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Are you talking about Belshazzar? Yeah, Belshazzar. Belshazzar was number two. That's why when Belshazzar talks to Daniel, he says, I can make you number three. But for a long time, that tripped up scholars. They'd say, well, see, that makes no sense because the Bible's making the claim that Belshazzar is the king when he's not. What we didn't know at the time was is that he was co-regent. Does that make sense? He was co-regent. But the Bible was true. 
The Bible was true all along. Thankfully, the Bible got lucky one more time. Amen? <laughs> one more time. Just makes you want to hold by the edge of your seat because you just never know what the Bible's going to turn out to be not true, right? I speak facetiously. Okay. That is all of the introductory material. We're going to start actually get into the text. Amen? We're going to actually get in. James, don't look that shocked. That's a little offensive. Okay. All right. We're going to get into the text this morning. I want to start off the text with a question. Have you ever had to make a choice to stand up for something you believed in, even when other people around you had a different point of view? Have you ever had to make a choice to stand up for something you believed in, even when other people around you didn't agree? Your, your daughter has no problem whatsoever standing up? Okay. Pass the mic around. If anybody, anybody want to share a story? This is your time to talk. And if you don't want to answer that question, I have another one. Just, just as much of a toe stepper as that one. Go ahead, Tim. Um, I was uh, I was raised in a different dom- denomination, uh, and there's a bunch of uh, different views and and whatnot, and you know I've I get. Uh, I've been a lot of, gotten a lot of judgment, like, as far as sharing what I believe, like, from the Word of God, you know, and it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do sometimes, man, but uh, it's, it's I mean, when you know something's right in your heart, and that's the Word, um, I believe that we're put there to, like you said, speak spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. I even saw you do that, <laughs> you know, spirit and truth, um, so... It's just, uh, especially when it's the people closest to you. Um, but man, it's, it's, I don't know, the Lord lets you know you're doing the right thing when, when you do, you know. So that's, Good. that's all I want. Good. Now you don't have to turn it off. Anybody else want to add to that? Stand up for something you believed in, even when it wasn't popular. Okay. Well, most of us who were still on, no? Just leave it on. Supposed to be red. Supposed to be red. Okay, I was looking for a green. Thank you. I think most of us who were raised traditional Church of Christ, you know, we have struggled with this and working all of this out. My life started to change radically when I started reading the Word for myself, not just New Testament, but the whole book, which of course is what Jesus said, Matthew five seventeen through nineteen. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. He didn't come to do away with it, but to fulfill it and bring it into His fullness. We have all these covenants, but they keep building one upon another. In the oil field, you have what's called what are they called? Like these contracts, but you do this, and then if you do this, then this. Well, God's constantly working things out. Mm. I got you covered. I got you covered. But I got real tickled when you came to the senior center and someone asked you what church uh, you, you were preaching at <laughs> and what kind of church. And you said, Church of Christ. 
sort of. <laughs> you know, and that that's the thing. Uh, as Like you said, as God and the Holy Spirit leads us, but we have got to read the book for ourselves, number one. And number two, we've got to accept the fact everybody has a different walk. We yeah. all have different gifts, talents, ministries. You know, it's been hard for me to remain even... Church of Christ, I am weird, y'all. I try to observe the uh, Sabbath on some level, certainly not perfectly. God spoke to me for many years to try to eat biblically kosher. That's weird to most people, but uh, bottom line, whatever God calls us to do or not do, we've got to stay you know, in alignment with God and walk it out and work it out with fear and trembling, and it's a lifelong challenge. Very good. That gentleman back here has a has a thought. Thank you. How y'all doing? Um, so for me, uh, I was going to work a lot, and as I was passing by, there's this church, and there's a guy laying out in front of it. And uh, as he was laying there, God told me to go ask him if he wants to stay at my house or whatnot. And he's been staying at my house for a little over two and a half months now. And uh, he's a he's a professing atheist. Oh. And, uh, you know, I try to pour into him. But what God showed me when I asked him to come into my house is just a love on him. You know, don't try to redirect. Don't try to argue or debate with him. Just express love and be there for him in care and concern. He goes, this is the way that you can show who I am to him. Yeah. Because the more that you become debative and combative is the more he's going to use his views of his atheism against my faith. But it says faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so some of the things that I've been doing is just asking him and making him a part of what I do, which is celebrate recovery and going to church. That's good. And as I've been doing that, he's been willingly coming. And every night I ask him if he wants to pray, and he's like, sure. And I pray with him. And these last two weeks prior to this Sunday, he's actually went to Sunday services with me. Good. And so what God is showing me, as long as you stand up in love, that I will work through other people and then of course you know prayer by faith and and actually being obedient and being a testimony of who he is and a light of who he is but uh you know that's just kind of what i've been doing that's what god's been showing me uh for at least the last three months is that it ain't always about trying to throw something on someone right sometimes it's about just being that light to someone so that's what's been helping. man that's a good way of putting it too thank you max ann got something too Well, a few years ago, I was living in Oklahoma at my mom's, and I don't know who gave this lady my phone number at the house, but anyway, she called me like once a week, and we always talked about the Bible and Scripture, and it was just really neat, you know, that she was calling me and checking in with me and everything. Well, one day we got on the subject of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And she said, wait a minute. She said, uh, God can't be three persons, honey. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and then I realized at that point that her faith was not the same as mine. And I didn't disqualify her. But I stood my ground, and I said, no, there is God in heaven. Jesus is his son, the word of God, spirit, 
rules the nation. And so she just could not, of course, swallow that. Now, I assume she was a, I think, Mormon or... Oh, yeah. I think it's what ended up me finding out. But I stood my ground. I wasn't going to, you know, buy into what she was saying because I knew better from experience and knowing mm -hmm. what not only what the Bible says but what I have experienced in my life. Yeah. There's no way you can tell me any other way that there is a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Say amen. <laughs> she says amen. amen. Very good, very good. Well, we're going to be, the reason why this, this question is important is because um, I try to ask questions, and I want to set this up, and we're really, really short on time for this morning, but a couple of really important questions to ask as you get into chapter one. One very important question to ask is, what do you do when the culture around you becomes not even just non-Christian, but when it becomes anti-Christian? And, and for Daniel, living in the time that he's in, remember, he's being taken out of his environment. He's being removed from the land of Judah. He's being removed from Jerusalem. So all the things that he has done in his life to be obedient to God is now going to be a challenge to him. One of the first things he's going to have to deal with is, Sandy, like you talked about, eating kosher food. We'll get, the, we'll get into this in just a moment because he's going to be um, raised in the king's palace, raised at the king's table, and he's a Jewish guy, Right? Well, as a, as a Gentile king, what do you think is probably on the menu quite often? Pork, <laughs> right? So one of the first issues that this young Jewish guy is going to have is, you know, oy vey. Hey, I, I said that. He probably didn't say oy vey, but, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm being put in this role to be an advisor to the king one day, and already I'm having to do something that goes against my conscience. So, um, I think this is going to be important for us as Christians because look at the culture you and I are living in. It is rapidly becoming anti-Christian in so many ways. And, and so these questions of how do we conduct our Christian lives, because it's hard for us because we've grown up in what at least our generation believed was a Christian nation, or at least a heritage of a Christian nation. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, when the culture in America reflected Christian values in many ways. Not perfectly, but in many ways. Um, today, not so much. And, and I believe that, that the, the, the quicker or the farther along we get toward the return of Christ, it's going to become harder and harder and harder to be Christians and to stand up for what we believe. Well, I made a promise we were going to get into the text. Let's do it before the bell rings, shall we? Verse 1, let's get into it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, hopefully by now, I've given you just enough background to where some of this makes sense, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has just went down to Egypt. He just defeated Pharaoh Necho at the Battle of Carchemish. And he is on his way back home. He's heard about his dad that's died, but he's got just enough time to make some extra loot in the city of Jerusalem. Okay? So he besieged it, verse 2. And the Lord, listen to this, I love this. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So apparently Nebuchadnezzar has a museum, had a museum, 
and he liked to put these things in it that he would rob. So Jehoiakim was placed on the throne, just to give you a little background here, by a pharaoh Necho uh, before he died. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar again kills him at the Battle of Carchemish. Necho places uh, Jehoiakim on the throne to succeed his brother Jehoaz. Jehoahaz. Um, both of those guys were evil, uh, kings of Judah, by the way. You can read about them in 2 Kings 23, 31 through 37. Both kings, by the way, were sons of Josiah. Remember Josiah? He was the good king in the Old Testament. He was the one that found the law. He was the one that read the law, brought revival to the land. Unfortunately, it didn't translate very well to his own sons. Um, okay, I'm going to stop here because this is a very important question. I don't want to miss it. And we'll pick back up at verse 1 next, next Sunday and we'll just go right on through chapter 1. But I want you to notice, who gives the kings into his hand? The Lord does. So I can talk to you all day long about what happened at the Battle of Carchemish and what happened with his father back home, but who is the one that's in charge of all of it? The Lord. Okay. All right. We'll stop right there, guys. We'll see you in a minute for worship. God bless you.